This is episode number 46 with Lewis Howes. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl, and I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe to uncover the habits, mindsets, tools, and rituals that they have used to become world-class so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? Before I introduce today's guest, I want to tell you two very exciting things. You can now pre-order my next book, Open Wide, The Radically Real Guide to Deep Love, Rocking Relationships and Soulful Sex. And if you pre-order before the 18th of December, you can get your hands on some epic bonuses such as retreats, juju cups, hotels, jade eggs, organic makeup, a Holden car for a weekend, books, meditations, and even a scholarship to the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. How epic is that? All you have to do is head to melissaambrosini.com forward slash open wide. And on that page, you will find all the details to pre-order and claim your bonuses. So head there now. The second super exciting announcement is that my husband and I are collaborating to bring you the Open Wide Tour around Australia in January and February 2018. This is a celebration of Nick's music and to celebrate the release of my next book, Open Wide. Now imagine a TED Talk meets Coldplay concert. It's a fusion of music, meditation and motivation and you can get your tickets for that at nickandmelissa.com. Lewis is a New York Times best-selling author of the hit book, The School of Greatness. He is a lifestyle entrepreneur, high-performance business coach, and keynote speaker, a former professional football player and two-sport All-American. He is a current USA men's national handball team athlete. He hosts a top 100 iTunes ranked podcast, The School of Greatness, which has had over 35 million downloads and 500 episodes since it launched in 2013. Lewis was recognized by the White House and President Obama as one of the top 100 entrepreneurs in the country under 30. Details Magazine called him one of the five internet gurus that can make you rich. Lewis is a contributing writer for Entrepreneur and has been featured on Ellen, The Today Show, The New York Times, People, Forbes, Inc., Fast Company, ESPN, Sports Illustrated, Men's Health, and many other media outlets. And his new book, The Mask of Masculinity, is out now, which is very exciting. Now, Lewis and I were connected via a mutual friend many years ago, and he took time out of his full schedule to catch up with me when I was last in LA, and we recorded a little inspirational video about choosing love over fear for his tribe, which I will link to in the show notes if you want to check that out. He is a super cool dude, full of wisdom and inspiration, so I cannot wait for you to hear today's episode. 
In the podcast today, we chat about his journey from professional footballer to New York Times best-selling author, number one podcaster, and being interviewed by Ellen. How cool is that? His next book and why he wrote The Mask of Masculinity, why we all wear masks, who we are without our masks, his top tips for relationships and how these tips have changed his life, why breathing and meditation is key for epic relationships, the best strategies to let go and forgive to free yourself, relationship boundaries that we all need to set, how to inspire your partner to open up and show up as the best version of themselves, plus so much more. For everything that Lewis and I mention in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes and that is at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 46. Now I am so excited to introduce the one and only Lewis Howes. Lewis, it is so great to have you here, but before we dive into the juice of this amazing episode, can you please tell us what you had for breakfast this morning? <laughs> um, what did I have? I don't even remember. I didn't have breakfast. I had a bulletproof coffee, and then I had some tuna and green beans for lunch. Mm, yum. Oh. Well, I am so excited to have you on the show and your next book, which is coming out next week, which I'm really, really excited to talk to you about. But before we go there, can you take us back to Lewiston College and tell us how you got to being on Ellen, this New York Times bestselling author and number one podcaster? How did this all happen? You know, it's been an interesting journey. Um and it started with sports. I would say it was the first part of my life started with wanting to be a great athlete. And that was always my dream to play professional football, to play professional sports, and really to get paid to just do something that I love doing. That was my dream was to how can I live life doing what I love doing? And I got to experience that. I played a little bit of professional football um, in my early 20s. And then I got injured. And for about a year and a half, two-year window was really a turning point for me because I was uh, I didn't have a college degree yet. I didn't really have any money because I didn't make much uh, from playing uh, the little bit of football that I did. I didn't have a job, and I was living off three credit cards on my sister's couch, kind of just trying to figure out what am I going to do next. I felt like I'd kind of lost my identity. My whole dream was gone. So for me, this was very frustrating. It was kind of shocking where, okay, yes, I you know, had a, a, a body. I have, I'm a white male in America. So people could be looking at me and saying, well, woe is you because you have all these privileges. But for me, really, the thing I care about the most was gone. It was completely over. And it was a darker moment because I just wasn't sure what was next. I had no clue what to do with the rest of my life for the next few years. Luckily, I had found a few mentors early on who were able to give me some good feedback and some guidance. 
And they gave me some great coaching. They said, well, why don't you just start building something online? Why don't you start looking into this, look into that? Why don't you try this, try that? So I just started trying everything. One mentor said, check out LinkedIn. So I spent six hours a day on LinkedIn for a year and a half, building relationships and finding ways to add value to people. Another mentor said, why don't you be a professional speaker? But in order to do that, you've got to learn how to speak in, in an audience first. And I was terrified to do that. So we said, okay, join Toastmasters. So every single week, I joined this public speaking organization that taught me public speaking for a year. I just started picking up different skills and seeing what kind of landed, what stuck with me, and what I enjoyed doing. And eventually started kind of building an online business around LinkedIn as I was getting a lot of opportunities around that. And from there, I took that into building an online business, creating other social media programs, um, and just learning and being fascinated with how marketing, branding, design, how all these things work, because I wasn't really aware of them before before that fascination. And that was kind of the early stages of my, I would say, second chapter of my life, which has been kind of the last 10 years of building a business, building brands, investing in companies, and and uh, eventually turned into what I'm doing now with the School of Greatness. Wow. Okay. So, did you ever predict that this was going to unfold, or is this, you know, beyond your wildest dreams? It's funny. I remember a moment when I was 16 in high school. My dad got my mom and myself uh, two tickets to go see Tony Robbins. He was in our town in St. Louis, Missouri, at the time where I was going to school. And I'd heard of Tony Robbins and I'd, you know, I'd, I think I'd maybe listen to a couple of his audio stuff from my mom or something like that. But I really wasn't too sure who he was at the highest extent, never seen him in person. So we go to this event. It was a, it was a massive production. It wasn't like his normal events. It was an event where we had like 20 different celebrity speakers come to teach about, about success and mindset and principles. And so I got to meet some other heroes. It was funny, like Larry King was speaking. It's funny, actually, Donald Trump was there speaking and a bunch of other, you know, Super Bowl champions and all these other people that were there, more in the sports realm that I was excited about meeting. And there was 20,000 people in this arena. And I remember watching him on stage and his presence, his energy, his passion, his ability to move all of us in the audience. I was just like, Wow that's pretty cool. I wonder if, you know, someday maybe I could do that. And there was a moment where Tony actually came off stage, walked out into the, uh, the floor of the arena. And I was probably, I don't know, halfway back to the back of the arena, uh, on the ground floor and sitting in the aisle. And for whatever reason, he walked through the aisle, down the aisle, kept walking and stood and stopped right next to me, literally about two, three feet away. I don't remember what he said. I, I, I can't remember what he was even talking about, the topic, but I just remember his energy and the way he made me kind of just like light up. Like he just gave me this level of, wow, possibility for myself. And I remember thinking at that moment, like, this would be kind of cool one day if I could ever at any level do something like this. So I don't think I thought it was going to happen, but I remember thinking I would love to be able to do something like this. It just seems so far away uh, from it happening. Mm, well, you are with all of your work. It's 
so impactful and so empowering and has inspired me. I'm sure your next book, The Mask of Masculinity, which is coming out next week, is going to do that as well. And this is a topic that is very, very close to my heart because my next book, Open Wide, The Radically Real Guide for Deep Love, Rocking Relationships and Soulful Sex is coming out in December. And it almost feels like it is the female counterpart to your book. So, can you tell us about your book and what it's about and why you wrote it? The book is about the different masks that men wear that hold them back from their ultimate truth, their ultimate authenticity, their ultimate confidence, their ultimate love, and their ultimately living their fullest lives um, in the sense of relationships, impact, mission, everything. And what I the, why, the reason I wrote it is because uh, everything I do is to help myself first and to figure out why I've been... Uh, not at the level that I want to be in a certain area. And uh, so for me, I realized there were a lot of challenges I was facing as a man that I wasn't happy with myself. I started getting into more and more fights. I was getting angry with people about four or five years ago. I was being very passive aggressive. I was physically uh, hurting other men who were arguing with me in certain instances, playing uh, sports, things like that. And my relationships weren't doing well. My business was taking off, but I felt like everything else in my life was kind of crumbling. And I just wanted to know the answers. And I realized like, wow, okay, this hasn't worked for me my entire life in certain areas. Some areas, I've gotten great results. In other areas, I haven't. So how can I feel better inside about who I am and not feel pain, anger, frustration, vengeance, uh, or, or this lack of forgiveness that I was feeling, how can I let go of that and really step into a better, better human being, not just a better man? So for me, I wanted to really learn all the things that were holding me back. And in the process, I realized so many men that I grew up with faced similar challenges of not being able to share their feelings or express their emotions or just talk about their fears or things that maybe that happened that they're ashamed of or confused about. And, you know, the way I was conditioned growing up through peers, other boys, sometimes coaches, sometimes girlfriends, you know, through lots of stuff, media, I was conditioned, at least the story I tell myself is I was conditioned not to express those things. And um, it's hard to feel free when we have something inside of us that we can't share. And it's hard to love fully and deeply when we have a certain pain that's never come out. And uh, I wanted to be able to give men an understanding of what holds them back from their most powerful self and help them develop an unwavering foundation of confidence in any situation, embrace and let go of the fears that you know hold them back from really creating their dream life, and the most of all, letting go of pressure and stress and anxiety that I think a lot of men feel and kind of carry. And I realized in this process of 
wanting to do this for myself to discover what was holding me back and also help other men like me that, wow, I was like, huh, actually, I think women might read this even more. Like women are going to probably be more fascinated by this than men, even though it's for men. So I started to write portions of the book for women to help them to understand the men in their life better of why their father, their son, their brother, their husband or boyfriend act certain ways at certain times and give them and teach them. Uh, ways they can emotionally support them in the love so that you, they have more harmonious relationship and also learn tools to connect more intimately in their relationships, learn how to get men to to love and to open up and be more vulnerable and all of that. So I wanted to create it for men to understand why we wear masks, how it's serving us and how it's not serving us and how to let go of the mask and still live a powerful life. And for women, how to understand why the men in their life are the way they are, and hopefully give them some tools to support them in having a more harmonious relationship. Wow. Now more than ever, it's really, really needed. So I'm so excited for this book to be out into the world. But it's not just men that wear masks. I mean, you know, I talk about it in my book. I talk about the different goddess archetypes that we embody. Why do you think we wear these masks or these archetypes? Why do we embody them? Well, we're protecting something. We're protecting a fear of not being loved and being accepted for who we are. And, you know, I'll speak for myself. When someone made fun of me for not being smart enough in school or picked me last on a sports team, I felt like I didn't have acceptance. I feel like I didn't have that connection, that brotherhood or love that I was looking for, and I felt isolated. So I chose to train and become bigger, faster, and stronger to not only protect myself from people never picking me last again, but also to say, hey, I'm the most valuable person in this world or in my world uh, and in your world, and you have to pick me first because I'm that much better and that much stronger. And uh, I think this happens for a lot of people. You know, the mask, so I wore the athlete mask a lot, and there's guys who find their worth in other ways. You know, there's the, the joker who always finds humor in every situation and makes a joke out of everything and tries to make everyone laugh all the time. And it's usually because they never felt like someone accepted them for who they were. And so when they got a reaction by doing something silly or goofy and people laughed and liked them, they realized, let me wear this mask more and more so I can get the love and the intimacy that I've always wanted. The reason why men dry are driven to earn more and make as much money as possible and flash the cars and the houses that they have and constantly brag about how much money they have is, again, comes back to wanting people to say, oh, wow, this is someone who's built something cool that I want to be a part of, and I want that, and they're, I want to learn from them and connect with them, and they have value now because they've done something, and it gets them attention. And so, in some ways, these masks serve us to get what we've always wanted, which is acceptance and love from other people. But at what cost, if we're not aware of it, And if we're not doing things for 
a more uplifting, more we mentality as opposed to me versus the world mentality. And um, I think that's kind of how it forms. It's really interesting. You know, when we let go of all of these masks and identities that we have placed on ourselves, what's left? I know for me, um, I used to be a professional dancer. And then in 2010, I ended up in hospital and that was my rock bottom and my whole life changed. My whole course of my life changed. And I had this real identity crisis. I thought, who am I without that title and without that um, job? So, for me, it was really quite challenging to let go of those identities. But what I've realized is, like you said, all of these identities and masks that we wear are just protective mechanisms that we've used. But a lot of people say to me, but who am I then without those? And I would love to hear your answer to this. But for me, you know, who are you without all the, without all of those masks and identities? You are that pure essence of love in your heart. And that's the truth of who you are. But I would love to hear what you think about that. Who are we with all without any of those masks or identities? Well, we are authentic selves. We are who we're supposed to be in my mind. And um, that's revealing, that's vulnerable, that's loving, that's everything we are. I think the challenge is we're afraid to, to let people know who we truly are because if they actually knew the things that have happened to us or the challenges we face or the adversities or where we're not smart, we believe that people won't love us or won't support us and won't like us, that we're not cool enough or interesting enough to be a part of their tribe. And the thing I think a lot of people fear is being isolated, being alone. We want community, we want connection, we want acceptance and acknowledgement. So when we have a lack of acknowledgement or even worse, a bullying or making fun of for who we are, then we wear these masks to fit into someone else's mold of what we should be and what they like as opposed to what we like. And we are very inauthentic when we wear these masks. So we are our truest self when we take them off. Mm, And when we are vulnerable in our truest self, that's when our relationships become really deep and great and juicy. It's when we wear these masks that they're kind of like surface level relationships. Have you found that be the case for you? I mean, absolutely. I mean, my entire life, you know, when I wear a mask or project something that... I'm not. I feel like I surround myself with people that I really don't like or, you know, I'm doing it and I don't feel good about myself because I'm just trying to be something I'm not. So for me, it's, it's, it's just being aware of it, you know, being aware of why am I wearing this mask? What's the point of wearing it? Is it really helping me or am I just kind of scared to be alone right now because these five people that want me to act a certain way won't be friends with me if I don't fit into their mold. That's really hard to do, especially, you know, as like a teenager or someone growing up, when you're around like 30 to 40 kids all day in a classroom, you want to feel accepted by your peers. You want to have at least a few friends that like you. And so it's just challenging, I think, when we grow up conditioned. If we don't have that family support or the um, 
sibling support or whatever it may be, we're trying to fit in. And I don't think it's anyone's fault to, to try to fit in. It's just trying to figure out how do we learn these tools better to, to love ourselves fully for who we are. Mm, yeah, I love that. How is this changed your relationships over the years, understanding these concepts and understanding the importance of the masculine and the feminine energies that we all have within ourselves. How has your relationships unfolded? I'll be the first to say that I'm I'm not the perfect man in the fact that I have a lot of, you know, challenges and uh, you know, things that I'm always working on. And I'm so committed to my vision, and so sometimes my personal relationships um, aren't as much as a priority as my vision and my, you know, my, the impact that I want to have. And so, the more I've learned about this, and the more I've discovered these things about me, I've realized that when I'm with my partner or friends or something, anyone, um, to really disconnect from something else to disconnect from phone connect and disconnect from other things. So a lot of times I just leave my phone at home if I'm going out and to really be present and be open for feedback. I think it's, it was hard for me before in my past to be open for feedback when someone would give me feedback or suggestions about the way I'm acting or the way I'm being, I would get very defensive. And now I don't think it's like natural for me to be like, oh yeah, tell me what I'm doing wrong and I'm going to like it. But I'm very open and receptive and patient and listening as opposed to quickly defending myself and being like, well, this is why I was this way. And, um, you know, if people don't understand me, then that's their fault. So I'm much more patient. Uh, I used to be a lot more reactive in my relationship, my intimate relationships. And I'm much more patient and listening as opposed to needing to be right all the time and really just listening and, and trying to come from a place of, well, how does my girlfriend feel right now? And what is it that she's really saying and what is she not saying? And what's the bigger thing beyond this you know, argument or conversation? What's the bigger thing that needs to be addressed? And how can I speak into that and communicate from a loving, calm place? And it's a challenge. I mean, anytime my masks are wanting to come on to defend myself or project something, it is a challenge for me still to recognize and drop my guard. But I feel like that's the only way things are going to be resolved. One way or another, if I wanted to get uh, wear my mask and get in a fight and be right and kind of put my foot down and be like, no, this is what I believe and this is what I think and you did this and I did this, blah, blah, blah. And then go down this rabbit hole for three days of an argument. Eventually, I'm going to get exhausted. She's going to get exhausted and we're going to say, you know what? We're sorry. <laughs> you know, eventually it's going to happen at some point or another. You might as well save yourself the, the pain and frustration and just drop the mask right away and resolve things in you know, 20 minutes as opposed to two to three days. So for me, that's what it's all about. Recognizing when it's arising and breathing, like being calm, you know, knowing that it's all going to work out one way or another. If you had to pick the top three relationship 101 tips or tricks, what would they be? Presence, being present with someone that you're spending time with, listening, 
asking um, heart-opening, thought-provoking questions, being loving, being joyful, being happy, because it's not fun being around someone who's the opposite of those things. And one of the most powerful is acknowledgement for me, uh, acknowledging the other person for all the good they do do, as opposed to fixating on what they're not doing that you want them to change. So focusing on the acknowledging of the good that they do is, in my opinion, one of the most powerful things. So easy to focus on the negative. You know, our brain always goes to that one negative comment and doesn't, you know, look over all the beautiful ones or that one thing that thou, that our partner did. But, you know, simply acknowledging. And for me, even the two-letter word, like, thank you, like, it's just such a powerful statement, yet especially with our loved ones, we can kind of skip over that and just go straight to the negative. I would love to hear now, we've spoken a lot about our relationships with other people, but how does our relationship with ourselves come into this? Like, I feel like our relationship with ourselves is the most important relationship we have of all. And if we're not overflowing with love within ourselves and really showing up for ourselves, then having these radical relationships is going to feel a lot more challenging. So, how do you make sure that you are overflowing with love within yourself and look after yourself in that way? Yeah, I really believe we live in two worlds. Um, You know, we live in the world within ourselves and our mind and our body and then the world outside of ourselves. And if we don't have grace inside and inner peace inside of our uh, the world inside of ourselves, then the outer world is going to be chaotic for us. And when we do have inner peace and grace within our inner world, I believe it doesn't matter what happens in the outer world, we can find uh, calm at any time. And I really focus on gratitude because it doesn't matter how great something has happened or what I've achieved. If I'm still unhappy about my results, then it doesn't matter how good it is if I haven't learned how to appreciate that experience. Same thing with a a challenging thing in my life for adversity. If I don't learn how to appreciate and have gratitude for that experience, it's going to be a story that I run over and over in my mind and tell people about something that happened to me that's going to hold me back the rest of my life. And so for me, it's really coming from a place of understanding and being grateful for as much as I can. That's the first thing. The second thing is letting go of any past trauma, suffering, pain, anyone who's hurt you, anything like that, is is finding forgiveness for everything because it just does not support or serve you if you're going to hold on to resentment. From my personal experience, it feels great to resent people and it feels great to want to like have revenge and all these things. It feels good in the moment, but it doesn't support you bringing humanity together and lifting people up. It may feel good for a moment, 
but it's just a cancer waiting to form and build by holding on to resentment. So I would say, find a way to forgive everything and everyone. And the most important person to forgive is yourself. And I really appreciate meditation and breathing because I believe when we learn to breathe and be mindful of our thoughts of what we're thinking, what we're holding on to, what we're letting go of. It's just easier and more relaxing to experience life without pain and suffering. So I would say those are a few things that I begin with to, to, to give myself the best opportunity to have a better relationship with myself. What about for someone who's, you know, sitting here listening, going, but I I just can't forgive that person or I just can't forgive myself for X, Y, or Z. How do we forgive and how do we let go? Like, what are your strategies for that? Being aware that forgiveness is not about, is not for them, it's for you. And holding on to resentment to someone else does nothing to them. It only hurts you. It hurts your energy. It hurts your heart. It makes you tight. It makes you stressful. It makes you fixated on one negative experience that happened in your life or multiple experiences that happened in your life that you're looking in the past as opposed to focusing on the present and on your vision, on your dreams. If it's not helping you live a happier, more fulfilled, impactful life that supports your dreams and others, then let it go. And usually holding on to resentment doesn't make you feel fulfilled inside and make you make a bigger impact. Now, there may be things that happen that are not right and that are morally incorrect and that are unjust and that you wouldn't wish upon anyone and all these other things. I'm not justifying something that's happened. I'm saying this is for you. It's not about them. It's not about forgiving them for them. It's about forgiving them for you to let something go so you can reconnect to your purpose and your mission and your vision, whether it's having a great family or a powerful relationship now as opposed to fixating on the guy who raped you when you are a kid or cheated on you in the past relationship. It's letting these instances go so you can live fully now. And I, you know, for a lot of my life, I resented and held on to grudges and things like that. And I just look back at it and I realize this did nothing for me except hurt me and other people. Because then I would be reactive. I would put on more masks whenever I felt defensive. And a lot of it stems from just not letting go of stuff in the past. Yeah, I was just reflecting back onto times in my life where I have held on to things for years. And I'm almost just like looking at, looking back at myself, just having a little laugh because it did not serve me one bit. It only caused me pain and suffering and heartache. And as soon as I decided within myself to let that go and to free myself, it literally felt like a weight had been lifted off my shoulders and the story could finally dissolve because like you said, we're constantly telling ourselves these stories from our past, but these stories are what keeps us stuck in the past and not in the present, which like you've mentioned, the present is 
where the magic happens. Being in the present moment is where true fulfillment and happiness is. And I'm like you, I often go out without my phone, go on dates with my husband without my phone because I don't want the temptation to even be there. I love what I do so much and it doesn't feel like work for me. It's it's so joyful. So for me, I have to like put these boundaries in for myself so that I, I'm not tempted. But I would love to hear if you have any boundaries that you kind of set within your relationships. I talk about this in Open Wide. I talk about the difference between you know, a boundary and, you know, a block and a barrier. They're different. You know, boundaries are kind of saying, well, this is what I believe in and this is what I'm going to allow into my space. A block is like a brick wall and you're like, nope, you're not coming in or, or a barrier's got no, no entry in. But the boundary, you get to decide who comes in and out and what is acceptable. So I'd love to hear in your relationships, what are your boundaries? It's more just like my boundaries are that we are open communication, that we're expressing ourselves, that we check in with each other. And we don't allow ourselves to have, be stagnant. And I think, um, you know, that's a challenge. Neither of us want to live a stagnant relationship or have a stagnant relationship or life. And so it's really, we check, we check in with each other. And sometimes things happen where it feels that way. And she'll remind me or I'll remind her or whatever. And we come back to that present moment and reconnect on, on making sure we are present and living a full uh, you know, loving, expressive, passionate relationship. Um, I think that's the main thing in terms of boundaries. I'm not sure. I mean, besides other stuff of, you know, cheating or whatever it may be, you know, uh, the, the boundaries, you know. What would you say to someone who's listening, who is really inspired by everything you're saying and would love their partner, whether it's a female or a male, to get on board. How do you recommend that they inspire their partner to be more aware and conscious and present and vulnerable um, besides them reading your book? Like, how else can we inspire our loves? I think it's really tough because. You know, it took me a long time, I feel like, until I started being open to looking within myself about this stuff, you know, and wanting to see myself and what was working and what wasn't working. It took a while. What was the turning point? Was there like, was there a breaking point where you're like, I am so done. I've just got to make some shifts. Like, what was that turning point for you? I mean, I mean, a string of really bad relationships uh, and, you know, one that just finally realized like, wow, something, you know, something's wrong. If this is happening, you know, over and over and over again, the common denominator is me. And why am I either creating this, attracting this, involved in it, participating, whatever it is, why am I in it? And, uh, you know, one relationship just got really bad, just got really bad. I mean, a lot of them got really bad, but one, it was kind of like the timing of my life. Where I was like, why is this still happening? And it put me back into a dark place like when I was a teenager. And then I started reacting in other areas of my life. I started getting in physical fights with people. I started just getting really aggressive and screaming and loud and angry and realized like 
it was kind of a wake up call for me being like, okay, something's not working for me. I need to figure out a solution. I need to like look within and see what's, what's off. And that's when I started doing a lot of emotional intelligence work and for the first time shared about being sexually abused when I was a kid and just started really revealing so much about my pains and my angers and resentments where I'd never opened up about these things before because I didn't think I was able to based on my experiences and based on the way I was conditioned, how I grew up to be a man. And so I realized, wow, all these things, my entire life that I've been conditioned from media, from peers, from friends, from teammates, the locker rooms, to girlfriends, to whatever, it wasn't working for me. It was hurting me and I was hurting other people in the process. And so when I started to let go of these pains and these resentments towards people and experiences, I released the pressure and the stress on my shoulder that I've been carrying for 25 plus years. And I felt like I could start to rebuild. So if men are, it's just hard for men in general. I'm not saying all men, but the the men type of men that I grew up with in general, it's hard for them to talk about things that, that they went through, that they're ashamed of, that they're guilty of, that they're fearful of. Where I feel in general, women have more of a platform or a facilitated way of being able to express themselves so they can allow other people to hear and cope with and and experience it with, with love and support in general. Now, maybe some women don't have that, but I feel like it's just more accessible. It's more public. It's There's groups out there for, for women, and there are less of that for men in general. And I think that's just a lot of the challenges. And that's why men commit more suicide than women, I think, because they feel this pressure and this anger and this this sense of like, I can't share this with anyone, so I'm just going to keep it inside and I can't uh, I can't cope with this any longer, this pressure, this pain, this suffering, so I'm going to end it because there's no way out. And that's the scariest thing when someone feels like there's no way out. So I think it starts with communicating with your men in a very loving, non-judgmental way, an acknowledgement of all the good they do first. If you want them to start opening up about anything, I think it starts with acknowledging the good, not fixating on, why are you so stoic? Why don't you show emotion during this? Why don't you open up when something like this happens? Why, when I cry, you don't cry. Why this? Like When you fixate on all the things that they're not doing that you want them to do, I can guarantee you're going to make them feel bad, first off, And most likely, they're going to want to put on a mask and protect themselves even more because they don't want to feel bad. It's human nature. So start with the good. Start with acknowledgement, which is hard to do sometimes, and and really create a safe environment. And I think there's always a lot of, there's also a lot of mixed signals from some women in some relationships, I'm speaking for myself, where I would open up and be expressive and be loving and be vulnerable and show tears. And then it would be a turnoff or someone would say, well, just man up. This is your job. You're supposed to be a man. You're supposed to do these things. You're supposed to take care of me. You're supposed to protect me, make me feel safe. And so when women send these mixed signals of, oh, we want our men to open up and express themselves, but then when they do it and then they shame them or make them wrong, or make them feel like they're being bullied like when they're kids, 
then you can better believe they're never going to do that again. So women play just as much a role in this, I believe, as men. And yes, we are all responsible for our own actions. Yes, we're all human beings um, responsible for how we act and how we respond. But it's human nature to want to have your partner happy, to please them. This is what humans like to do. No one wants someone unhappy with them or mad at them. And so it's hard sometimes to just stand firm and, well, I'm going to cry and feel this way. And if you don't love me in this moment, then screw you. It's hard to just stick to that type of feeling. So I'm not sure if I've answered the question, but I'm kind of going on a rant about the whole process of, of all of this. No, it's so great. It's really, really powerful. So great. I'm just like nodding along because everything you're, you're, talking about is exactly what I cover in my my book. It's just so powerful understanding this. And it's that polarity the, between the masculine and the feminine. And we all have masculine and feminine within us. And some people maybe have a little bit more of one of them and neither are right, neither are wrong. It's just what is. And that polarity has to exist. And, you know, there's been times where, um, as you were talking, I was just reflecting on, you know, when my husband has, you know, really been super vulnerable and how it made me feel and how I reacted. And it's so funny that you say, because in the past I would have been like, well, man up, you know, you shouldn't cry. But um, I really encourage him to express that within himself and be vulnerable. And same with my 11-year-old stepson, you know, we're not, we have never said to him, you know, oh, don't cry or um, pull your socks up. You know, these are the things that my dad said to me growing up. Uh, Whenever he has any sort of emotion, we just let him express however he wants to express. And that might be with tears, it might be with a tantrum, but never shutting someone down for what's going on for them, I think is really important. It's so challenging when you're crying or really upset and someone turns to you and says, get over it. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, like, how dare you say that to me? Um, Just allow me to feel and allow me to express. So, Yeah, what you're saying totally resonates so deeply. And these are just concepts, you know, the concept of the masculine and feminine have been around forever. You know, these aren't new concepts, but it's experiencing a re-emergence right now because now more than ever, we are moving into that we cycle and out of the me cycle. And we're stepping into this more collaborative way of living and being within ourselves and within our relationships, which is really exciting. So, I would love to hear now, what is one thing that you're currently working on or would like to improve within yourself at the moment? Is there anything that's really current for you right now? I think relationships are our greatest teacher and there's always another level to unlock, I believe, in relationships. You know, I feel like I want more courage to work on because I feel like sometimes I don't say everything I want to say um, in all relationships, not just my intimate relationship, but 
out of fear of hurting someone or of not them not approving or them not you know, of me having a desire for something and wanting to express something or wanting to do something and, and someone not, and that hurting someone. Sometimes I feel like I lack the courage because I don't want to hurt them in that moment. And um, I just don't say certain things. So I think courage in general um, and allowing myself to be afraid and share something that is scary for me or I'm worried about a reaction and... And learning to be more calm and confident and courageous in those moments. Mm. Have you read the book Radical Honesty? No, but I've heard about it. I heard it's great. Oh, it's so good. Uh, Once I read it, my husband and I, we both went on this mission to live radical honesty. We were, you know, because like what you're saying, you know, there's times where we hold back in out of, you know, fear of hurting that other person. But imagine if we all just spoke our truth from our heart all the time. (laughs) <laughs> It'd be amazing. It would be amazing. And and you know, it would be confronting as well, of course. But there's so many times I'm a, I'm the same as you. There's so many times where you know, I'm like, "Oh, no, I won't say that." But if that's your truth and it's from your heart in that moment, then that's the truth of the moment. And by holding it back, we're actually doing a disservice to that moment and to that other person in that moment. So, yeah, I think you would love that book. Check it out. Okay, let's pretend now that you have a magic wand and you could put one book in the school curriculum of every single high school around the world in every different language Besides your amazing books, what is one book that you would choose? The one that does it all for me is, I was going to say, you know, the four agreements and the five love languages, those are great. But I think the one that I would choose is The Alchemist. Because it's always about finding the treasure within ourselves and believing in ourselves. You know, the greatest people in the world find a way to use the gifts that they were uniquely born with and turn their ideas into gold. We have the gold within us and we can create any of these things. We can be the alchemist of our own life and create any life we want. We just get to learn the principles of how to do that and how to create it every single day. Mm, Amen. My 11-year-old stepson last year in year five, they actually read The Alchemist as part of the curriculum. When he came home and told me, I was like, oh my gosh. And so, we would listen to it on audio in the car to and from school as well, so he could really embody it. But he just loved it. And I thought, what? And he doesn't go to a, he goes to a mainstream school. Like, he doesn't go to a- A public school. Not a public school, like a private school, but not like a, a Steiner or a Montessori, like it's not a spiritual school. Like this is just a, a normal private school and a very sporty school, actually. And I thought it was amazing. Year five, they were reading this book. It's a great book. Yeah, it's a great book. So great. Okay. So I am obsessed with. Uh, people's morning routines and how they prime themselves for the day, as Tony Robbins says, and um, what you do to set yourself up for success. So, can you tell us about your morning routine and your little things that you do daily? For me, it's the body is the most important thing to start activating. So, I just I have a trainer that works me out in the morning. 
because when I have to do it myself, sometimes I can make excuses. I'll never go as hard. But when I have a trainer who makes sure as I'm fully aligned, makes sure I'm not hurting myself, protects me, things like that, allows me to just focus on getting results. So I like to have a workout first thing in the morning. I always make my bed. I believe uh, I used to never make my bed until about five, six years ago. I started the art of that after I met a monk that talked about the importance of making your bed. And then there was like, you know, a big book that came out about this admiral who did this commencement speech talking about making your bed. And now it's, it's, you know, kind of all over the place now, but I used to never think that was important. I hated it growing up. Uh, But once I started doing it, it literally started to change my life because I would walk back into my room and see this like clean bed and clean room. And it felt like I accomplished something and it, and it built belief in myself that I was able to do something. And then it allowed me to do something else even bigger. And it just started the day right. So making my bed, doing a workout, I try to do every single day, 12 to 15 minutes of breathing meditation where it's just a simple instrumental audio that I listen to. And then I go through a process in my mind because the mind is the most um, powerful way to connect to the body. So I try to do both of those, the body, the mind, and then the rest of the morning, you know, I could say a bunch of other fancy things, but it's really just focusing on what I'm most grateful for and what I want to create that day, you know, brushing my teeth and all that other stuff. But um, in terms of food and nutrition, uh, it's really just getting as much water as I can in. Sometimes I have a coffee, sometimes I eat, sometimes I don't. I think it's, it just depends on kind of the season of my life. But if I make my bed, I work out, I meditate for 12 to 15 minutes, and I'm grateful and intentional about what I want to create that day, I'm pretty unstoppable. Mm, sounds good. What are you most recently grateful for? What are three things? Every day, I'm so grateful for my health. Because I just meet so many people that don't have the body and the health that I do. And I never want to take that for granted. So that's why I do try to push myself and use my body uh, in a safe way to the best of my abilities to stay strong, healthy, and um, you know, be able, to, be able to have it around for a long time. Uh, so I'm grateful for that. I'm so blessed and grateful for this incredible life I get to live and that I'm that I'm even aware of what I'm doing and how, uh, and being grateful for the awareness because I think some people take advantage or take for granted and take advantage of the, all that they have. And so I'm just so blessed and grateful that I get to meet the most inspiring people every single week and interview them and hang out with them and just have fun in life. You know, my dream growing up as a kid was to make money playing. And I feel like I get to still do that as an adult. It's just make money and play doing what I love. Sounds good. Now, I'd love to hear what is one of the most important things that we can do for our health? Well, it can't ever just be one thing. It's got to be all things. And movement is key. Nutrition is key. Uh, emotional and mental health is key. Because without one, if one of those are missing, your whole life can crumble. So for me, it's you've got to focus on everything. And, you know, I've been, God, I love sweets, candy, and sugar, and cookies, and I could have three milkshakes a day. And if you, if you just gave me milkshakes all day, I could just eat, live off that. <laughs> 
but I realized I can't really get away with that anymore. Like when I was, you know, 13 or whatever. And, um, you know, I haven't had, I haven't had in two months, I think two months in a week now, I haven't had a single cookie or ice cream piece of, you know, cake or candy or anything. And, you know, it's just like my life has transformed, you know, I'm down, uh, 10 pounds down just by that alone. And, and by coupling that with movement every single day, whether you have a workout or you go to group workouts or you run, it doesn't matter. Whatever you want to do, movement, movement throughout the day. You know, I'm doing a challenge now where every single day I'm squatting and just sitting in a squat position throughout the day for a minute at a time. I'm hanging more. I'm just moving my body on top of working out. Then the emotional and mental health. I mean, it doesn't matter how fit you are and how obsessive you are about what you eat. If you're in a emotional and mental prison and you're you know constantly battling yourself in your mind it doesn't matter because then you're going to create some type of cancer disease and so we've got to focus on it all it's all one thing and it all works together Mm, i love that holistic approach it's so true so so true so now i'd love to hear what is one of the most important things we can do for our wealth, for more abundance in our life? I mean, I would try to say like the politically correct thing uh, to say, you know, focus on the thing you love and the money will come. Uh, And that's partly true. But when we focus on generating sales, that's when the money comes. When we focus on asking our audience or anyone in the world, what is the biggest challenge and pain you're facing right now in your life? And then you find the solution to that, that's how you're going to make more money. Now, when you can uh, niche it down and systematize things and do all these other things and, and optimize it, then it'll be a lot easier. But it comes down to figuring out what people's pain is and being able to package and position your solution to their pain in an amazing way. And I don't know, it's, it's, you know, it's focusing on your financial vision, focusing on that while focusing on the things you love, it's, you know, the money's not just going to come if we don't focus on selling, if we don't focus on generating it. So I think it's, you really got to, you know, in the morning, I'm focusing on who are the three people I need to call that can bring in an extra hundred grand today for me. Who, what do I need to do to set up another webinar? What, you know, what ad spending we need to do? I'm focusing on how to reach financial goals. And if you don't have a financial goal, you're probably not going to be making the money you want because you don't even know how much you want to make yet. So there's a lot of elements into that, but it's really getting clear first on how much you want to want and then focusing on generating it every single day. And you've given lots of tips on how to cultivate more love in all areas of your life. But if there was one thing that we could do for more love, more self-love, more love in our relationships, what would that one thing be? I think a simple thing is smiling at everyone and hugging people. I think... uh, You know, whenever I see someone, I try to just give them a big smile and open my arms and see if they'll let me hug them. And whenever I do that, I just feel like it's, you know, it's contagious and people feel loved. I feel loved. It's just a more loving environment. So start with that. 
hugging releases those feel-good endorphins and apparently you need 11 hugs a day. So I'm definitely, I mean, it's still, it's 10 a.m. here in Australia, so I've got the rest of the day to go and get my quota. (laughs) But for anyone who's listening, go and try and get 10 really good, juicy bear hugs and and see how that makes you feel because it's... It does make a difference, doesn't it? And I have one more question for you. What is one thing that I personally can do and the listeners can do to serve you today? You can forgive yourself for anything you're holding on to. You can forgive others for anything you're holding on to. You can go hug someone. And you can come from a place of acknowledging the people in your life acknowledging them for the good just go up to your boyfriend your brother your husband your sister whatever it is and acknowledge them for something good as opposed to just going through the motions or fixating on what's not good and watch your energy and their energy shift the moment you acknowledge them that's what you can do um If you guys want to pick up a copy of the book, it'd be awesome as well. And let me know what you think, but really just have more conversations around how we can all live a better life. Mm, Thank you so much. I just want to acknowledge you and say thank you for all the work that you have done in the world and are going to do in the future. Your books, your podcasts, your events, everything. You've inspired me so much on my journey and I'm deeply, deeply grateful um, for being connected with you many years ago through our mutual friend, Jake. And I just want to say keep going. Thank you. And I'm deeply grateful. I appreciate it. Thanks, Melissa. Okay, so your homework now is to go out and get your quota of 11 hugs. Now, these have to be the good bear hugs. You know the ones I'm talking about, the really good ones. And feel that oxytocin swim through your cells. And remember, it's 11 hugs a day. So pop that in your calendar and make sure you commit to that every day. I'm going to be going and getting mine straight after I finish recording this. I got so much out of today's episode, and if you did too, please subscribe and leave me a five-star review in iTunes or on the podcast app, because that means that we can inspire even more people together. And don't forget to tell me on social media, either on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, who you would like me to have on the show. And for everything that we mentioned in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes, and that is at melissarambrosini.com forward slash 46. And you can also check out my other podcast episodes there too. Also, just a reminder that you can now pre-order my next book, Open Wide, The Radically Real Guide to Deep Love, Rocking Relationships and Soulful Sex. And if you pre-order before December 18, you can get your hands on some epic bonuses that you do not want to miss out on. Also, the tickets for the Open Wide Tour that I'll be doing with my husband in January and February are now available. So head to nickandmelissa.com to get your tickets today. Thank you so much for being here, for wanting to be the best version of yourselves and for showing up today for you. You rock. 
Now, if there's someone in your life that you can think of that would really benefit from this episode, please share it with them right now. And until next time, don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word.